So we are in Romans chapter 7 this evening as we continue on. Let me go ahead and pray, and we will get into the Word of God. Oh, you know what? I've... Oh, hold on. You're jumping ahead of me. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> we are... Um, I, I want to say thank you to everyone who helped out with Harvest Fest yesterday. That was, it was really wonderful, uh, especially Megan Shores, who organized the whole thing. Uh, Sarah Phillips, uh, Manny did all the sound, and just, uh, it's everybody who helped out. It was a big deal. Many of you helped out with serving food, doing games, and I can't tell you how many neighbors we spoke to and talked to, just that they were so blessed by it, and that's the whole point. We just wanted to bless our community and have a, a really good, wholesome event. So uh, thank you so much for being a part of that and coming and uh, for helping. And even those who helped set up and helped clean up. This year was the fastest cleanup ever, which was a, an amazing blessing to me. So, <laughs> so uh, that we just really want to thank you. All right, let's go ahead and pray and we'll, then we'll get into the Word of God. Lord God, we, Father, we thank you so much for this evening. We thank you, Lord, that, uh, for your Word tonight. And uh, Lord, we want to ask that you'd help teach us. Give us understanding uh, Lord, I pray that this word would just be such an encouragement to each and every one who's come here. Lord, whatever they've come from this week, whatever busyness, Lord, may we just slow down and, and feed from your word. And Lord, we pray that uh, for those who are not here, able to be here with us tonight, that you might encourage them, just bless them and keep them as they're gone. And I want to pray for our dear friend Bob, who's um, been struggling with that throat cancer. We ask, Lord, for your mercy upon him. We pray, dear God, for you to uh, heal and uh, for your protection upon him. So we thank you, God, that we can bring all of our requests before you. And we thank you, Lord, that uh, you have started a work in us and you will finish that work to the day of completion. And we look forward to that day. So we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've, we've been in Romans chapter, uh, Romans since uh, June, I believe. I believe we started Romans in June. And uh, hopefully, if I've been doing my job well uh, as far as expounding the Word of God, I hope that you have come to the conclusion at this point, uh, I've done nothing, Christ has done everything. And if you've come to that conclusion, we're moving the right direction. And I know everybody always wants to say, but what about, but what about this work or what about that? And uh, we're going to be talking about those things, but I'll tell you right now, if we are going to really teach Romans faithfully the way Paul, I believe, intended it to be taught, we're going to say it's all by the grace of God. Everything. From start to finish, it's by the grace of Christ that he's done this work in us and will continue it to the day of completion. And we can rejoice in him. Uh, they, they say, uh, well, anyway, as we get into tonight's message, I want to tell you that I see dead people. That was the famous line from the 1990 movie, The Sixth Sense. I, I see dead people. And of course the movie, and if, by the way, if you haven't seen that movie yet, I think there's a, like at least the moratorium on the, on the twist is over and we can, we can just talk about it. But, uh, and my wife actually knew going into that movie, we went and saw it in theaters and she had, she had talked to somebody ahead of time because she doesn't like surprise twist endings. But the movie's all about a man who is a counselor, and he's counseling a little boy who says, I see dead people. 
And, and the man is uh, trying to work with this kid. He says that dead people only see what they want to see. And everywhere he goes, he sees these dead people. And, and the counselor is real concerned about it. But as the movie goes on, we see this estranged relationship with his wife. That his wife doesn't seem to reciprocate with him certain things. And finally, toward the end of the movie... The wife is kind of crying in bed, and she makes this comment, why did you leave me? And she drops his wedding ring out of her hand. And he looks at his his hand and sees that the wedding ring isn't on his hand. It actually was in his wife's hand. And all of a sudden, he realizes he's dead. And, and, and And that's the whole point of the movie is the boy saying, I see dead people was seeing him the whole time. Well, listen, I want to tell you, Romans 7 is going to tell us that you are dead, that, that, that you have died to the law, that you are no longer under the dominion of the law. That's where we're going in Romans 7, that, that the rule of the law over our lives is over, and now the life we live, we live by faith in the Son of God. And it'll be quite freeing as we get into this. So we're talking about sanctification. Now, that word's a fancy word. So let me just define it because uh, sanctification is really how do we grow in Christian maturity? That's what, what, what we're talking about. What are the blessings that come with Christian growth in the Christian life? And so the easy defini- definition of sanctification is, uh, is growth in likeness to Christ. So that's the easy definition. When we use a fancy word like sanctification, we're saying we're talking about your growth in likeness to Jesus Christ. How you're going to look more and more like Jesus and it's not going to be based on your work. So let's get into verse 1 of chapter 7. Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. Now, we finished chapter 6, and chapter 6 was all about being freed from the law and now presenting our members to God, that we we're no longer slaves to the sin, We've been freed from sin, and now we're slaves to righteousness, and we're presenting ourselves to Christ. And then, of course, at the end of that passage, uh, Paul wrote, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And now we pick up with 7-1, or do you not know, brethren, okay? Uh, And so who is the brethren? Well, we really don't know who he's speaking to when he says brethren. Uh, It could be the the Jews at Rome who are Christians. It could be the Gentile Christians. We're not really sure. Seems, but we do know this. It's those who understand the law. Because he says, for I speak to those who know the law. So I'm going to assume that he's directing this toward the Jewish brethren there at Rome. And, and so he says, or do you not know, brethren, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives? Let's talk about what that means, the law has dominion. Now law, when, when we speak about law, we're, we're truly talking about the law given to Israel at Sinai, okay? Uh, that's what we're speaking about. Now I know most of us in this room are probably not Jewish. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure if we have any Jews in the room or, or any, any Jews who are trying to keep the law. But uh, we're, this is a mostly Gentile church. But, but the fact is, is we see that... Um, we're talking about this law, this covenant that was made with the Jews at Sinai, and of course that the Jews were promoting even within the church, uh, and there was this tension there between 
the Gentile church and the Jewish church. And we'll get more into this tension later on in the book of Romans. But with that said, he speaks about this dominion over a man as long as he lives. And think about that for a moment. If you're dead, there's no rule of law over you anymore. It doesn't apply, right? I looked up, I, I made the unfortunate mistake of trying to Google, has there ever been a, a, a corpse that was arrested? And boy, I saw some incredible news stories about things that I thought, no, I'm going to go with six cents illustration to open up. Uh, so people are crazy. Anyway, they're full of sin and they need the Lord Jesus. But but uh, the whole idea is that, w- that when we've been set free from, from uh, the dominion over the law, we, we've died to that law. It, it no longer has any uh, power over us. So think about what it means to have dominion. Well, dominion is the fact that the law is a taskmaster over you and me. And what do I mean by that? Well, the law constantly says you have to keep this, but then our nature in Adam is we can't keep it. We continue to sin. In fact, even when we're told, here's the law, what do we do? Well, we want to break it. It's just our sin nature. Uh, we want to do something risky or daring or, or uh, I know when I was a little kid, you know, throwing a rock at a window to see it break, there's no, no greater joy than breaking a window, uh, right? But of course, that's, that's not good. That's sinful. And I didn't go around breaking all my neighbor's windows, but I did shoot the ice cream man with a water balloon launcher. Still feel bad to this day about that. Uh, but the, and I got in a lot of trouble for that. <laughs> when my parents asked me why, I said, well, because he was a moving target. That didn't work. <laughs> I got in trouble a couple times. Yeah. So, I, uh, but, but just the, the, the law is... The law is a taskmaster over us, and we constantly, our sin nature wants to break that law. Even when we know certain things are totally wrong, we justify other things. And then when we hear that that's wrong, we justify that, and we go after it. But the law can't sympathize with us at all. In fact, the only thing the law can do is tell you that you're guilty, and that you are you not only are guilty, but you've done wrong, that you are deserving of the penalty or justice from the law. And this is important because when we think about the, the dominion that the law has over us, there, the law gives no hope to us. As we looked at earlier on in the book of Romans, there's no hope coming from the law. And so Paul says that the law is only good as long as you're alive, So if you die to the law, the law is over. Now, consider this for a minute. Consider a man who's late for a funeral. He's driving the hearse. The dead body's in the back in the coffin. He's trying to get there. Sure enough, lights light up in his rearview mirror. Cop pulls him over. He hit the speed trap. Cop gets off his bike, walks over, tells the driver of the hearse, can you open up the back? Okay. He opens up the back. And the cop says, license registration, sir, to the coffin. Right? It's not going to happen. Because you, you're not going to give a, a citation to a dead corpse. Because the corpse isn't going to be liable to that anymore. Good luck collecting a debt from a corpse. I mean, yeah, I understand that things go into probate and all those things after death. But, 
but, but, but only as much as is there can people collect from what's left. You can't continue on sending collection letters to a dead person in their cemetery plot, right? And the collection letters are piling up. You didn't pay your debt, right? It doesn't, it doesn't work. The, the, the person is dead. And so Paul helps us understand that, that death breaks that demand and that dominion of the law. So now Paul's going to give us an illustration. Look at verse 2. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then if, while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. And so here's the illustration that Paul gives. Now, first and foremost, I want to make sure we understand this. Paul is not giving marital advice here. This is not about marital advice. This is, a, a, in a way, it's, a, it's an illustration or kind of like a parable. We're not going to pick apart every part of it and come up with some truth. This is just a, a, an illustration to help us understand this, this doctrine of de- being dead to the law and alive in Christ. So we don't want to start, start forming. If you want to find out about marriage, there's other passages about that. But what are we talking about? Well, we're talking about a woman who has a husband and is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives, okay? So that's the first idea, that, that if you're married, you are stuck with them, okay? And, and so we at least get that idea that, that, that as long as this person's alive, you, you, you're with them. Now, for some of you, it's, it's uh, some, a, a real rejoicing. I get to be with them. For others, I'm stuck with this person, right? No. And we don't want you to be stuck with anybody. That's why we're here in church, and that's why we're, we're looking to the Word of God to edify us and encourage us that we might be who God, God has created us in Christ Jesus to be. But, but the idea here is that this woman has, this wife has a husband who is a taskmaster, He's got dominion over her. He, he's oppressive to her. And, and uh, he's not a good husband at all. He's a terrible husband. Well, she's stuck with him because the fact is he's still alive. And if that husband dies, Paul says, she's released from that law of her husband. So then if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she'll be called an adulteress. And so that's the idea there is that, that if you just... If your husband, if you just say, you know what, I'm done with you, I'm going and marrying somebody else, well, now you're an adulteress. And so all the people that Paul is writing to, they understand these principles about marriage, that marriage is intended for life, and uh, if someone goes and marries somebody else while that, that former husband is still alive, they're an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law, that she is, she, the, and she's no adulteress, Though she married uh, another man, now this is this is uh, really important because now she's totally freed up from him, and that law no longer matters, and she's she's not bound by that anymore. She's not bound by that contract or that covenant, if you will. Uh, she's free to go marry this other man. 
Now, Paul in this illustration, as he's speaking about this, we can get this. We can understand this. Till death do us part. That, that's part of the marriage vows. We, we understand that idea. And so Paul is saying, look, as long as you are alive to the law, you're bound under the dominion of the law. You're like married to the law. You're attached to that law. But, but, but if, if you die to that law, now you're free to, to, to be married to someone else. And that's where we're going here. So, so Paul, as he's illustrating this idea, we're going to get the application aspect of it. Now, he's going to give us a twist. So that it, won't, it won't be like I see dead people twist, but it is a twist here. Okay, this is what he says. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. Okay, so let's look at this illustration. As Paul starts to give the application, we had two husbands previously. The first husband, the, the one whom the wife has died to or uh, uh, is no longer bound to, that's the law. Okay, that's, that's keeping the law. That's keeping the Ten Commandments. That's keeping all the law. Okay, not just part of the law. That's what we find ourselves, it's very difficult to do. Uh, but the, the second husband now we see is Christ. So you've become dead to the law through the body of Christ that you might be married to another. Married to who? Well, to him who was raised from the dead that we should bear fruit of God. So who are we, uh, who's, who's the dead person though? That's the question. Well, it's the wife in the illustration. That's the twist. It's the wife who died. It's, it's not the husband who died. The, the wife, because uh, remember, Paul starts out talking about a husband who's been, fr- uh, a husband who died and the wife is now free to marry another. Well, actually, here's where he kind of twists the application where he says, no, no, no. The, the woman is actually the one who's died. The wife has died and now she's free to marry this other, the, this one who's been raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. So at the beginning of my sermon, when I said I see dead people, those in Christ, you are dead to the law, yet you are alive in Christ. Now, where's all this going? I know it's a lot of words and it's like, okay, pastor, what's the point of all this? Well, listen, this is where it gets really important. You have been delivered from being under the law. That means you're no longer basing your salvation or your sanctification. Remember, sanctification is growing in the likeness of Christ based on keeping the law. That's over. It's no longer an issue. It's not even a part of it. But we have a hard time with this. Because a lot of times Christians want to approach salvation, uh, or I should say post-salvation with, uh, they want to approach it with things like, okay, well now let's get cleaned up. Let's start earning our, our salvation. Or let's start working toward our sanctification. Nope, that's not at all what we're doing. That's not what Paul's teaching in any way. Now we, the life we live now in Christ, we live to Christ in a relationship with Christ. We're attached to him, just like a, a married couple would be. When you, when you marry your spouse, you don't say, okay, well, uh, we want to meet up next year for an anniversary or something? Cool, I'll see you next year. And you go off and do whatever you want. No one would do that. 
right? When you marry your spouse, you stay with them. You grow in friendship with them. You, you grow together with them, building that relationship. And one of the interesting things about spouses is the longer they're together, the more they know each other, the more they anticipate what the other's saying, the more they just are used to each other, the more they've heard the same story from each other at multiple different dinner parties or whatever the case is, you know. <laughs> Those of you who have been married, <laughs> yeah, you've heard that story a few times. But, um, but just that whole idea that, that we now are with Christ and we have fellowship with him and we have a relationship with him and our spiritual maturity, our Christian maturity, our growth in him, our, our likeness to him is based in being in relationship with him. Not just to say, okay, cool, we're married, now I'm out of here. No, we're, we're going to have that relationship and build with him. So it's not based about, man, I got to keep the law today. I got to wake up and keep the law. I got to do it. I, I got to do better at it. No, don't do that. Grow closer to Jesus. That's the solution. Grow closer to Jesus. Build in that relationship with Christ. That is what uh, this chapter is going to be built, continue building on, is that closeness with Christ, that oneness with Christ. So the, now that you've, been, uh, you've died to the law, uh, you've, mar- you've been raised, uh, uh, you've become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should share, bear fruit to God. Now God starts bearing the law. Now, what are other ways we see the idea of works coming out? Well, when Christians say things like, well, that's not fair. Okay, what, what, when we say something like, that's not fair. Like, I can't forgive them. That's not fair. They've wronged me. Well, hold on. Do you want the law again, dear Christian? Is that what you want? Well, that's not just. Well, it wasn't right that they did that. Well, okay, I, well, I guess you can say it's not right. But, but the whole idea is when we start talking about fairness or expectation, that they need to do this, they need to come to this, they need to obey this, they need to uh, get all these things cleaned up and act and o- obey this. Uh, you know, it's fine that they uh, dressed a certain way before becoming a Christian, but now that they become a Christian, they should put on a tie for church. Of course, it's Calvary Chapel, so it's come as you are, but... but <laughs> But just the idea is, is that we start to see that people build up expectations post-Christian faith. And, um, and it's really a desire to have the law. They, they want to start adding to the law. And what happens when we add to the law? Well, they start boasting in themselves. They start feeling really good about their own spirituality. They're doing great. They, now they feel like they can even be critical of others. They can complain. They have authority now. Uh, on everybody who's not doing things right in the church. That's the law. That is what you've been freed from. Uh, so that's not where we as Christians are. We, have been, we are just united with Christ. Let me give you some understanding on this. Go, uh, turn over to John 15.1. We'll put it up here on the screen. But John 15.1 expresses this new life we experience now in Jesus it says, I am the true vine. This is Jesus speaking. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may, be, that it may bear more fruit. 
You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. As Jesus shares this this, uh, somewhat parable or this illustration of the vine and, and the branches and us bearing fruit, notice what the key there is. Abide in me. Take up your residence. Uh, make your dwelling place with me. You're no longer looking for a dwelling place with sin in the world. You're no longer continuing to try to give yourself over to sin. Remember last chapter we talked about presenting your members now to Christ? Now we're trying to abide with Christ. We're trying to learn from him. For those of you that have been struggling, and we've been kind of talking about this, about victory in the Christian life, struggling with ongoing sin, what, what, what the solution is, is Christ. Abide in him. Continue to learn from him. Continue to love him. Walk with him more so than you walked with yourself and your sin nature or those sinful attitudes and sinful behaviors. Now we're talking about abiding. Notice that you cannot bear fruit apart from the vine. Sometimes Christians try to do that. They try to bear fruit apart from Jesus, and it doesn't work. You know, the best thing about bearing fruit is, or fruit-bearing trees, there's a couple of things I've learned about fruit-bearing trees. One, they never work hard. They, you never see a tree sweating to bear fruit or, or toiling or, or laboring to bear fruit. It just kind of comes naturally in its season. The other thing about fruit-bearing vines is, it, it is the fruit is never for the individual. Have you ever noticed that? The, the fruit is always, the tree never eats the fruit. I've never once seen a tree bear fruit and all of a sudden take a branch, grab it, and like just have it disappear back into the tree. It just doesn't happen that way. The tree bears fruit and then it's for who? For, for others to partake um, and, and to sustain others. And so here we see in this relationship with Christ as, as Christ bears fruit through us, um, as we remain in him, he bears fruit through us. And of course, uh, in turn, we, ser- we uh, serve others and bless others with that fruit that he's bearing through us. It's a beautiful relationship between us and Christ. Um, now, <clears throat> there's a passage in Ephesians that speaks about husbands and wives. And you can go there, Ephesians 5, 25 through 26, as we're speaking about this dead to the law. And this is actually a passage about how husbands are to treat their wives. And of course, right before this passage, it says, wives, love your husbands as, or sorry, wives, submit to your husbands as, as to, uh, out of reverence for Christ. Then it says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Now I'm gonna pause there. Uh, We're just going to do verse 25, sorry. Um, Just think about this for a moment. Christ did the opposite of the law. The law condemned. Christ loved. The law rejected. Christ accepted. So in a practical standpoint for you who are husbands, if you want to know how to treat your wife and love your wife, you're going to look to Christ. He's the model. You're not going to 
have, create dominion over your wife. You're not going to uh, 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 condemn your wife. You're not going to tell your wife she's got to step it up to this high standard. No, you're going to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Christ then put the burden of the law on the church. He, he it received the church to himself. He loved it. He died for the church. He took, he took the penalty of sin upon himself and gave to us his holiness. So it's a, a really wonderful thing. So as we consider this idea of, of us and, and our new spouse being Jesus Christ, that, that idea of this illustration being uh, now in a relationship with Jesus Christ, married to another, him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God, we can see this whole idea that that's how Jesus received us. More than that, we, we see a difference in how Jesus treats us as a high priest. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, let's look at this passage. It says, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This passage here is such an encouragement when we really start to understand the wonderful grace of Christ. Now think about the role, the role of the high priest. The high priest was there to facilitate the law of God being kept through the sacrifices of the animals, that, that the people would have fellowship with God, that they would have atonement. The high priest would, would recognize if someone was unclean, they would tell them to go clean themselves, come back. The high priest, in, in, a, in a way, was part of that enforcement of the law. But now we have a different high priest. And, the, and, and, and our high priest, Jesus, we're told... Uh, pass through the heavens um, and, and for us. That's, well, already that's an incredible feat that he, he stepped out of heaven for us. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Isn't that amazing that Christ actually sympathizes with your weakness? That means when you're dealing with temptation, when you've sinned, Christ is not looking down on you, mm. Man, that's disappointing. But rather, you have a high priest who is sympathizing with you. I remember calling a, a Catholic church. Uh, actually, it was Holy Family Cathedral back when I was a youth pastor. And I was just trying to understand Catholic, Roman Catholic doctrine better. So whenever I, I was trying to understand uh, uh, something different, I would just call the people up. <laughs> Sorry, I have conversations with them and and uh, just trying to understand the, uh, what, what they were teaching better. And I was trying to understand uh, the purpose of Mary in the Roman Catholic Church. And so the, as I was speaking to the priest, and I had read some books on it and things, but I, I just wanted to make sure I, when I taught on it to the youth group that I taught it well and, and didn't misrepresent um, uh, the Roman Catholic Church or any religion that I was teaching on. Uh, when I shared uh, what uh, <clears throat> we believed from scriptures versus what they did, and so as I asked him about uh, about the Marian doctrines and the purpose of Mary, he said it's like this: Jesus is upset at you. 
And you want to get his favor. So what do you do? You go to his mom. You talk to her. You kind of, she's going to be more gentle with you. I said, that's not at all the Jesus I read about in the scriptures. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. I hope, I, I'm assuming Mary had a real good disposition. I, I just assume so. She seems like an amazing woman. And, of course, the scripture testifies about her being an amazing woman and a godly woman. And, of course, her, her one real song is amazing uh, that she gives, her, her little praise. But, but that's not at all the Jesus I read about. I don't read about a Jesus that's upset and angry with me. Now, I, I recognize Jesus is going to come and he's going to judge. We recognize that. We know that that time is coming, but not now. Right now, it's, it's receiving to himself those who, who would call upon his name for salvation. And, and so we see here in Hebrews, it says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So now we have a model who is victorious. That's wonderful to know because how often are we tempted to say, well, no one knows how hard it is to be me, right? That's, what, that's one of the lies of, of sin and temptation in our lives is no one's going to understand how hard it is to say no to temptation. Well, Jesus actually knows full well uh, what it's like to be tempted, but yet he was victorious. So now we receive that victory from him. So it says, verse 16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Listen, the time for hiding from God is not the time of temptation. It's not even in the time of failure. In fact, actually right now, there's no time for hiding. I'll tell you when you hide, when Jesus comes back with the sword of his mouth, that's when you cry out, rocks fall on me. Because that, that's when you... <laughs> You don't want to uh, deal with that. But, but now is the time where we, we're not hiding. Now is the time when, when we're encouraged, come boldly. Come boldly. Why? Well, because uh, it's the throne of grace. Remember, grace is not God's, uh, it's, it's not grace after all you can do as the Latter-day Saints teach in um, the Book of Mormon, grace is starting with Christ and finishing with Christ. It's all based in Christ. It's the gift of God. So you can come thrown boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. Isn't that what we want? We want mercy from God. We want to be received by God. And that's what the scripture is saying. Like, don't go hiding. That's a lie from the devil to go hide when, when you're struggling with sin or temptation. To, to go run away to bury your head in the sand, to go hide. That's what the devil wants you to do. He wants you to separate yourself from the Lord. But, but here we're told, no, you run boldly. And, and, and you go to Christ and you gain mercy from him. And you find grace to help in that time of need. That's wonderful. What a wonderful work Jesus Christ has done for us. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, but what, 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 are we just going to say sin is no big deal? Of course not. We're not saying sin is no big deal. Sin is a big deal. And, and, and sin, sin uh, promises big, gives nothing in return except heartache and hurt 
Sin, sin, sin is uh, a terrible, terrible uh, disease that we gain from our, our father, Adam. But remember, we're talking about Christ and victory in Christ. So look at verse 5. And i got to get close to in here. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. Okay? What's Paul saying? Well, fact is he's saying that, hey, listen, just because of your sin nature, when you were told don't do something, you were aroused to do it. And guess what it's going to bear? Fruit to death. It's just poisonous fruit. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. And we'll eventually get to the idea that the Spirit gives life and the letter brings death. But the whole the, the concept here is now that we are in Christ, we draw close to Him. The law does not matter to you anymore. The law is gone. And that's a hard thing for us to reconcile. I, and we're not saying that God's law is not good. It's, we'll get into that next week. That God's law is very good. It's holy. It's perfect. We cannot, we're not going to be critical of the law of God. But you and I have died to that law. And now we're alive in Christ. We're, we're, we're no longer under, under the dominion of law. So the Christian now seeks just to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, to walk with him. So the challenge for you is, are you still trying to have a relationship with the law? Are you still trying to go about your Christian faith and your walk by saying, do, don't, do, don't, I, I shouldn't do this, don't touch, don't taste, don't smell, rather than say, Lord, I just want to be with you. I want to I have a relationship with you. I want to learn from you. I want to understand you, because I'll tell you right now, that is where we're supposed to be abiding in Jesus Christ. It's no longer about the law. That is over. It's a past period. And now we're moving forward in Christ so that we can serve him in the newness of the spirit and not the oldness of the letter. This is the exciting part about it. It's just by you walking in Christ, it's opportunity to serve in the spirit of God. You get to just do things unto the Lord, which, which is just this new relationship, and it's honoring to him when you serve him because you just walk in that newness of the spirit, the newness of life. You're no longer under that letter. I think a lot of times we as Christians have a hard time with this concept that the law is over because we always want to go back to it. We always try to make laws for ourselves or put ourselves back under that yoke in some way, uh, reinstitute that do's and don'ts list. Certainly, obviously, we know that there are things uh, sin list in the New Testament. We recognize that. There's warnings in the New Testament about, about sin. But the goal is not for you to focus on the sin. The goal is to focus on Christ and let him do that work of sanctification in your life. So let me give you the last illustration in closing. Uh, and I've shared this before with you, but if I tell you don't think about a pink elephant, you guys already broke the law. Right there, you just did it. You thought about the pink elephant. I told you not to do it. Don't think about the pink elephant. Why are you still thinking about the pink elephant? I've, I've told you multiple times not to think about a pink elephant. They don't even exist. Why are you thinking about it? Right? 
Because as long as we focus on not thinking about the pink elephant, that's all we can think about, the pink elephant. Whenever we start focusing on don't touch, don't taste, don't smell, don't do this, don't do that, don't look, ah, all I want to do is do that. But when we focus on what we are to do, walk with Christ. Walk with Christ. When we start thinking about what we are to do, and we focus on that, and we fix our eyes, as the author of Hebrews says, we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, we got no eyes for nothing else. And, and that is walking with Christ and having that wonderful relationship of abiding in Him. My friends, that is where you will find victory. That is where victory comes from, fixing your eyes on Jesus and just abiding in him. And you'll find that, man, that came actually quite natural. It wasn't like I thought it was going to be. I just kind of forgot about the old thing and started walking with Jesus. That's my encouragement for you tonight. I know it seems so simple, but at the same time, we will make it harder. That's what we do. (laughs) But let me encourage you. You have died to the law. Now fix your eyes on Jesus. He is your salvation. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the, just the encouragement we have. And I thank you, dear God, that salvation does not rest in me. Because I would never make it. Lord, I'm, I will trust you all of my days. I will fix my eyes upon you. Thank you, Lord God, for that wonderful saving grace. And thank you, Lord, that you receive us, that you show us your mercy, that, God, we're no longer going to be judged by that that law that, that we could never keep. But, Lord, you've taken the judgment upon yourself already. Oh, Lord, I think the rest of my life I'll be trying to understand your wonderful love for us. And, Lord, we pray for this wonderful body that those who are who are discouraged, you might lift up their hearts. Look, for those who have been struggling, Lord, and struggling with, with uh, sin in their lives, Lord, we pray that they might just fix their eyes upon you. Lord, we bring it before you and we confess it to you now. You just share that with the Lord Jesus. Say, Lord, I need to be forgiven. Lord, teach me your ways. Lord, I want to take your yoke upon me and learn from you. For your burden is light and your yoke is easy. And we thank you, Lord God, for that. We love you, Lord Jesus. And and we thank you, God, that you've done the work. What a wonderful high priest you are. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. The one who's been set free from sin and walks with Jesus will never justify sin in their life. They're going to confess it. They're going to bring it before him. And they're going to seek uh, that restored relationship with him. I want to end with this benediction from Hebrews. It's a longer one, but it's a beautiful prayer. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.